Today we are going to discuss about the trade in ancient Egypt. In the discussion of the economic activities of Egypt, trade is an important sector. The central fact is that all large-scale trading activities were in the hands of Pharaoh. Egyptian texts down to the end of the second millennium contain no mention of professional merchants. The contrast with Mesopotamia could hardly be more complete. The methods of obtaining goods and raw materials from lands outside the borders can be roughly distinguished according to the means of acquisition. The first, the obtaining of copper and turquoise from Sinai cannot properly be described as trading at all. Gary J. Shaw has discussed it in his work War and Trade with the Pharaohs an archaeological study of ancient Egypt's foreign relations. Frequent royal expeditions were sent to their mines, usually led by an official and accompanied by soldiers, to ward off or subdue the desert nomads of those desolate regions. Mining communities were installed, supplied and defended possibly gifts to keep the goodwill of local sheikhs may sometimes have been made but they were not payments the second method consisted of acquiring goods brought in by foreign vendors great and small this kind of trade mainly involved the african hinterland ebony ivory aromatic resins, panther skins and the like were brought to the frontier by caravans of Nubian traders or in the modest packs of nomad tribesmen. The frontier town of Elephantine got its name as an antipod for ivory. Their business arrangements and customs duties were handled by officials whose various titles included caravan conductor who brings the products of the countries to his lord. This kind of dealing naturally varied with the political situation. The royal expeditions sent into Nubia during the 6th dynasty involved both forced tribute and genuine purchase. By the Middle Kingdom, the establishment of a trading post and factories at Karma near the third cataract made it easier for the African traders to exchange their goods for Egyptian knives, anjuments and linens. With the extension of the frontier to Napata, the situation must have changed and more goods would have been collected as taxes or tribute. Yet probably the old methods of trade persisted. The third means of obtaining goods was the most ambitious. This was the dispatch of royal marine fleets to foreign ports to deal with the local rulers. The most important line of this kind was the one just described, the timber trade through Biblos and later through other ports of the Phoenician coast. The other consisted of expeditions down the Red Sea to Punt or Somaliland that seemed to have begun only with the 5th dynasty. 
the true nature of the trading relationships between Pharaoh and the merchant princes of the Asian coast is difficult to define. There was always a tendency on the part of the Egyptians to emphasize their superiority by describing as tribute or bringing goods that were in fact paid for by a satisfactory exchange. In the high days of the New Kingdom Empire, much actual tribute was paid, but even then it was probably made good by a shower of royal gifts. There is no doubt about the commercial nature of the exchange when Egypt had lost imperial control. The prince of Biblos informed poor Vulid Venamun that while it was true that his own forebears had supplied timber to Egypt, it was only after Pharaoh had caused to be brought six ships laden with Egyptian goods and they had unloaded them into their warehouses. In a business-like fashion, the prince produced the old account books which proved that a range of payments, including silver, had indeed been made. The voyages to Punt were more hazardous and far longer. In the Old Kingdom period, they started from somewhere in the region of Suez. Later, the ports of embarkation were shifted farther south, where they could be approached across the desert by such routes as the Wadi Hamamat and Wadi Quena. The ships seem always to have been assembled there on the Red Sea coast. There is no difficulty in understanding the nature of the trade that went on once the royal fleets arrived at Punt. It was that of a great civilized power trading with barbarous natives. This is made abundantly clear in the artist's record of the most famous of all these expeditions, that of Queen Hatshepsut in about 1495 BCE which the queen claimed to have been the first mounted since the days of the Hyksos. The Egyptians are tendering strings of beads, axes and weapons in exchange for their mirror and other raisins that were their main objective, though they also took ebony, ivory, gold, monkeys and skins. Finally, we have to spare a thought for the foreigners, either out and out merchants or embassies from the rulers of other lands bearing gifts or tribute to Pharaoh. It seems very likely indeed that Semitic merchants handling lesser goods than the timber of Lebanon, wine and oil for examples, may have been allowed a port in the delta such as Nacrates became for the Greeks. Quantities of Cretan and Mycenaean painted pottery have been found in Egypt. Some may have been imported for its own sake, some as containers for scented oils. But the extent of the contacts with the Asian is best proved by murals in the tombs of no less than five high officials of the earlier 18th dynasty. These show 
princess of Crete and the isles in the midst of the sea, bearing familiar Cretan objects including wine flagons and copper ingots. It was certainly not tribute as Egypt had no real authority over the Asian. The paintings serve as a reminder that in this latter Bronze Age world, gifts between the monarchs of many lands were on a scale to heighten the wealth and cosmopolitan sparkle of their courts. So this is the end of today's discussion and for any query feel free to mail us. Thank you.